Well, how many of you just love this time of year, Christmas time of year? Anybody love this time of year? Okay, a few Scrooges in the room. Okay, great. Yeah, I love this time of year. And last week, uh, Elijah began a series, really the series is kind of his brainchild called Upside Down Christmas. And I thought he did an exceptionally good job. Let's give Elijah a round of applause. He did an awesome job last week. Uh, did a great job because he reminded us that everything about the Christmas story as we read it is upside down. In other words, nothing that happened in the Christmas story happened the way that it was expected to happen, right? I mean, you just think about the arrival of Jesus. I mean, if you were a Jewish person in the day, did you expect Jesus to be born of a virgin and, and born in a manger? Did you expect that? No. What you expected was a great, great announcement that would go out, this great uh, maybe baby shower that would happen ahead of time. He would be worn in a royal palace. He would be laced with golden garments. I mean, you expected royalty, didn't you? And you expected this baby to come that eventually would overthrow Rome. And nothing about the arrival of Jesus met the expectations that the Jewish people would have had, nor the announcement. I mean, think about who the announcement went to. It didn't go to the who's who's list of the Jewish people, did it? It wasn't like to the Pharisees or to the Sadducees or to people that really mattered. Who did the announcement first go to? Come on, that's not rhetorical. Who did the first who did it go to? The shepherds, right? The marginalized, the outcast, the nobodies, right? That's who got the message. I mean, if you were looking at the story and you were a Jewish person, you would expect the first announcement of the Messiah of the world would come to the high priest. He would tell the other priests. Then they would tell the Sadducees. They would tell all the scribes. And the message would permeate that way. That's what you would expect. However, God decides to first announce his, the birth of the Messiah to a bunch of shepherds tending their flocks Filthy. Guys who were, weren't even allowed because uh, they were ceremonially unclean because they had to keep the sheep, that they had to go through a great deal of process, even if they went through the process of actually going in and offering a sacrifice at the temple. I mean, these guys were the marginalized. These were the guys that nobody picks, but God picked. Now, when he picked the marginalized, he also picked the pagan, right? He, showed, he appeared a star to who? Who did the star appear to? Come on, this is not rhetorical. Who did the star appear to? The wise men, right? The wise men. And the wise men, I mean, these guys were pagans. They were astrologers. And so they were watching the stars. And so God went to the marginalized and he went to the pagan to announce the birth of a son. All that is upside down. Not to mention the promise that he gives. Do you remember the promise the angels gave to the shepherds? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for what? All people. Now, for many people, that would have been offensive because all people means, you mean the people like, that are like the un unlovable people? Yes. You mean the people that like, don't look like me, act like me, dress like me, think like me? Yes. You mean the people that aren't Jewish people? Yes. And the angel announced that, that I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all people. It's no longer about a nation like Israel. Now it's for anybody. It's for the marginalized. It's for the pagan. It's for the outcast. It's for those who've been discounted. It is a message for everyone. And everything about the Christmas story is upside down. Everything about it. None of it happened the way it was expected. And so here's the question I want us to answer today. Has Christmas turned your life upside down. If the whole story itself is upside down and nothing happened the way it's expected, my question is, has the story of Christmas turned your life 
upside down. Now, does anybody know? Now, you don't, don't be like the 9 o'clock service. You're the awake crowd, all right? So stay with me here. I want, I, this is a poll here, and I want you to help me with it, all right? So here's the question. Does anybody know the number one uh, Christmas carol that is sung at Christmas time? Anybody know? Christian Christmas carol, I should say. Anybody know? Shout it out. Oh, my gosh. Silent night, right? Everybody say it with me. Silent night. Now that I know you're awake, all right? Silent night. But think about silent night. Isn't the stuff that we tend to focus on during Christmas time those sweet, nice, warm, fuzzy songs, right? Well, think about it. Silent night, holy night. All is calm. <laughs> they haven't been in your home, have they? All is bright. And it ends with sleep and heavenly peace. All oh, right? Just a sweet song. And then maybe one of the other top five songs is Away in a Manger. You know how that one goes, right? Away in a Manger, no crib for a babe. The little Lord Jesus laid down his what? Sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. And the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. Oh, right? Sweet. Now, I'm not discounting those songs. I'm not saying we shouldn't sing those songs. But what I'm saying, sometimes when it comes to Christmas, I feel like we focus on the sweetness of the moment instead of the power of the moment. I'm not saying you shouldn't sing. I mean, those are some of the most favorite songs to sing. Away in a manger, silent night. However, I would contend that it wasn't quite so silent because an invasion of light happened. I mean, the Messiah of the world came into the world. That was, a, that was different than just a calmness that took place. But I would say we could sing those songs. But I think if we're not careful, if we focus just on the sweetness of those songs, the sweetness of the sweet baby Jesus in the manger. Listen, Jesus didn't stay in the manger, did he? Jesus became a man who lived a sinless life, and where did he go? He went to a cross, and he died for our sins. I mean, there was a purpose behind the birth. It wasn't just like sweet baby Jesus just stayed sweet baby Jesus. I mean, he grew up with a purpose, and that was to redeem and to rescue humanity. And so as we think about Christmas while we sing those songs, let us not forget the significance of the incarnation of Christ. Let us not forget the significance that Jesus became one of us. In fact, a moment ago, we just sang my favorite Christmas carol, O Holy Night. Because in this song, yeah, there's some sweet moments to it, but there's also a powerful moment when it says this, the one who's come, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is what? Peace, his gospel's peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall, shall cease. Here's what the writer is saying. So listen, the one who's come, yes, there was a sweet baby. Yes, there was a manger. But at the end of the day, he came for one purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. He breaks the chains and oppression no longer maintains. Depression no longer has jurisdiction over our lives. And not only did he come to save us, he came to teach us and instruct us what it means to live a life. It's honoring, pleasing to the Lord. And so as we sing, now, now some of you are going to say, Doug said I shouldn't sing silent. I'm not saying that. In fact, if you go to the Thrill of Hope service in Oviedo on, on the 24th, it's going to be great. And I'm sure somewhere we're going to light a candle and we're going to sing silent night. So I'm not dogging that. What I'm saying is if we just focus on the sweetness of the moment, we may miss and we may kind of lose the significance of the power of the moment. That God became one of us. And I believe this Christmas, not only is the story of Christmas upside down, I think Jesus wants to turn our Christmases upside down. So if you have your Bible, John's where we're going to be today. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, 
And as we look at this passage, I want us to be reminded of three things. If Christmas is going to turn our lives upside down, there's three things that we need to be reminded of. And the first one is this. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard that passage. If you're new to the faith, you're like, what in the world did you just say? In fact, I know I've been in ministry a long time, and I know that, you know, when someone's led to faith in Christ, they say, where do we start reading the Bible? What do most pastors encourage people to do? Start where? The Gospel of John. I did that one time several years ago, and I had somebody come back to me and say, okay, you know, Doug, you told me to start reading John, and I've done that, and I I don't know that I could get past the first two verses because it makes no sense to me. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and in the beginning was God. I mean, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me unpack it for just a moment because there's a key word here, and it's the word, word. In the Greek, it's the word logos. Now, for a Greek person of the day, logos meant everything. They believed, even the pagan people who were Greeks, who worshipped pagan gods, they believed in something called the Logos. They believed that there was something that held the universe together, and they called it the Logos. But even the Jewish people, this idea of Logos was important to them too, because the Jewish people would say that the word of God mattered. So it says, and the word of the Lord came to the prophet like Isaiah, and that would have meant something to them. Or the fact when they read the creation story that God spoke it, and he said, let it be, and what happened? And it was so. So the word matters to the Greek pagan culture, but it also mattered to the Jewish culture. So John's using the word logos strategically because he wants all the readers to know this, that the logos is Jesus. That Jesus was there in the beginning, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he was at the beginning with God. He's trying to draw this conclusion to all his readers of who Jesus is. And I'm just saying, if Christmas is going to turn our lives upside down, we have to be reminded who Jesus is. And so look what John says. First of all, he says, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now think about that with me just for a moment. Before, and he says this, that, that he says, in the beginning was the word. The word was. In other words, before there was anything, Now, I don't know if you can imagine that. I have trouble imagining that. But before the world was in existence, Jesus was. Do you believe that? Say amen. Now, that's hard to think about, isn't it, right? Because I have trouble thinking about anything before my 47 years of existence because the world just revolves around me anyway, right? But I mean, trouble thinking back that there is an eternity past and eternity future and that God exists beyond time and space. And so before this world existed, before the universe existed, the word was, Jesus was there. He was there. And then he says that Jesus, the word, was with God. That Jesus was with God. Now, typically when we talk about being with God, we're thinking presence, that Jesus was present with the Father. That's not what it means at all. In fact, the, the phrase with God is the Greek phrase theon, which means that he is a perfect in perfect fellowship with God. That when Jesus was with the Father, they were in perfect fellowship. In other words, it was like they were face to face. So it wasn't merely like, I'm, I'm in the presence of Susanna, we're in the presence together. No, no, they were face to face together. He said, so the word was with God, and then he says this, the word, what? Was God. Now, if you're, now, now I know we're 21st century Christians, and we go, yeah, Doug, there's nothing big, big deal about that. There really is. 
Because when the first century Jews would have read this, this would have been cause for an alarm for them. Because they'd heard about this Jesus of Nazareth who'd walked the world, walked the, the Jerusalem, who had been crucified, who resurrected. But John, when he pens this letter, letter decades later, he's wanting those, those followers that are following Christ and those that are going to come to faith in Christ to know this, that don't make any mistake about it. Jesus wasn't just a good person. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Jesus wasn't just a king or a priest. Jesus is God. That he is God. And make no mistake about it, Jesus God, and he is one with God. They're, they're not two entities, they are one. I know in our math system, one plus one plus one equals what? Three. Only the kids answer. That's alarming to me a little bit, right? Three. But in God's economy, one plus one plus one equals one. And what a beautiful picture in the New Testament that we see John permeating this idea of a trinity that, God, that Jesus was with God and that he was God. Three, yet one. Three, yet one. This would have blown the mind of the first century believers because there was one thing to say that Jesus is a miracle worker because they saw that, right? Many of them saw that. It's one thing to say that he could raise the dead. It's one thing to say that he taught with authority and power and with conviction because many of them heard that. But he's, John is saying he's not just a great teacher. He's God. He is the one who's always existed, always been around. He is God. So if you want somebody who holds the world together, if you want somebody who's been there since the beginning, it is Jesus. And so right out of the gate, if we're going to, Christmas is going to turn our lives upside down, we have to be reminded who Jesus is. And first of all, Jesus is God. Let's say that together. Jesus is God. And John makes a beautiful case of that. Secondly, I want you to notice this, is that Jesus created everything. Look with me in verse 3. He says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So who made everything? Jesus did. Am I tricking you this morning? Come on. Who made everything? Jesus made everything. So who made, who made the animals that were originally in, inhabited to the earth? Who made the animals that came with the creation? I mean, who made all those animals? Jesus made those animals. I mean, think about it. Who made the shepherds? Who knit and formed the shepherds together in their mother's room that eventually were going to be on the hillside and we're going to hear the announcement of the angels? Who made the shepherds? Jesus did. Who made the star that was placed and positioned perfectly so the wise men would see it and follow it where it would lead them to where Jesus was? Jesus put that star there. It's like you remember in Job when Job's complaining and God tells Job, hey, where were you when I put the stars into place? Well, the eye is also a reference to Jesus. He's the one who did it. In fact, let me really blow your mind. Who was the one that created fashion and knit together in their mother's womb? Mary, who one day would be the very one that would give birth to Jesus. Who put her... Who, who fashioned her? Jesus did. Who created the stone that eventually would cover the grave? Jesus did. And so the point is this, is that John wants us to know, yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus was there at creation. Jesus created everything. And there's another thing I, he wants us to note here, and not only that Jesus created everything, but thirdly, that Jesus became one of us. Look with me in verse 14. It's the most, maybe one of the most famous verses in John. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Not only is Jesus God, not only did Jesus create everything, Jesus became one of us. The idea of him becoming flesh means this. He was not the, a figment of somebody's imagination. He wasn't a ghost like Scrooge that had appeared to him in the past, present, future. It wasn't any of that. Jesus was a real person. That Jesus was birthed. That he was God in a bod. That he was God Almighty walking among us. That the creator of the universe who created all the galaxies came and became one of us. Now why would he do that? See, every other religion in the world has a God they worship that basically winds the clock of their creation, throws it out there, and says, we're going to see how this thing pans out. And they let it go. And that's what the kind of people that that these other people and these other religions worship. But not our God. Our God says, listen, my people are so wretched and they're so broken that I've got to do something to bring them to deliverance. So I'm not going to just wind up the clock and hope it works out. I'm going to do the only thing that can be done. And I'm going to let my one and only son be incarnate and come to this world and dwell among the people so that he can stand in the gap for those people. That he can go to a cross and take their place. Jesus became one of us. And I hope we don't ever get over that. I know we think about God and we think about God being high and exalted, and he is. But don't forget this, that Jesus became one of us. It's called the incarnation. That Jesus stepped out of glory and came to this world so he might seek and save all of us who are lost. The creator and the years. Now, why did he do it? Why, why would he do that? Because he would remind us that we are not forgotten and we are deeply loved. Now, just look with me. For, look at me just for a moment. If there's a message that should permeate our country right now, it's that people are not forgotten, and they're deeply loved. I don't know about you, but have you not gone through seasons of your life where you feel like God had forgotten you? You feel like you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and there have been no answers. The, 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 when we look at the story of Christmas, it's a reminder that Jesus became one of us. And the reason he became one of us was yes to seek and to bring salvation to all of us who are lost, but also to remind us that we are not forgotten by God and that we are loved. And God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were sinners, what? Christ not only came, but he died for us, right? So if, we're gonna, if Christmas is going to turn our lives upside down, We need to pause this season and think about who is Jesus. He's not just sweet baby Jesus who's in a manger. I know some of you are like, hey, I've got my nativity and it's so pretty. I've got this, 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 this statuesque, you know, manly man Joseph and I've got Mary and I've got sweet baby Jesus who looks really happy and content and I've got shepherds and I've got, well, if you have wise men, throw them away because they weren't there anyway. So, you know, I've got this beautiful nativity scene, right? I've got this beautiful nativity scene. And, and, and Doug, the, the story of Christmas, I mean, it just there's a sweetness to it, and there is. But let's not miss the fact that Jesus became one of us. He stepped into our existence, into our world, to save us, to teach us, and to show us what it means to live to please God. So if Christmas is going to turn our lives upside down, we have to be reminded who Jesus is. Secondly, we need to be reminded of our own tendency. Look with me in verse 11. It says this. He came to his own. And his own people did not what? Come on, his own people did not what? Receive him. His, now, what does that mean? It means his own people did what? They rejected him. They rejected him. Now think about that. The creator of the universe, who is God, who loves us, stepped out of glory. Think about that. Stepped out of being in perfect 
fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit to become one of us, to bring salvation to the world. And the people with which was his own people looked at him and go, we don't want it. We don't want that. We don't have anything to do with that. Now, as we read the Gospels, we kind of know why, don't we? We know why they reject him. For some, they reject him because he didn't come in the way they expected. He didn't come in royalty. He didn't come. He wasn't trying to overthrow Rome, and people were upset with that. And so he didn't come the way they expected. Maybe others of them rejected him because they didn't want to do what Jesus said to do. In fact, if you go back to the Gospels, you can find out where Jesus would do different teachings. And then three people came to Jesus and said, hey, we want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, great. Let the dead bury the dead. Great. If a man puts his hand to the plow and turns back, he's not fit to be my disciple. Great. He says, if you want to follow me, it's all about right now. In all three occasions, we are nothing in these people ever again. Why? Because they didn't want to become uncomfortable. The ultimate reason people rejected Christ is because they didn't want their lives turned upside down. Right? And I say that because of this. I know many of us in this room are believers. And our lives have been turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus. Amen? You believe that? I believe my life has been turned upside down. I was nine years old when I gave my life to Christ. It's been turned upside down by the good news of Jesus. However, there are seasons in my life, seasons of Christmas that I go through, that I need my life continually turned upside down. I get so caught up in the hustle and the bustle. I get so caught up in the commercialism. I get so caught up in the Hallmark movies. I mean, I get so caught up in all these things. I I, said that, and I watch it, and if you don't like it, John will take you out, all right? So, So, I mean, we get so caught up in all this stuff that we need our hearts turned upside down again, don't we? You know, it's kind of like the church of Ephesus we went through when, when John or says to the church of Ephesus, man, you do all this stuff great, but you forgot your first love. You ever had that moment in Christmas where you end Christmas and it's over with and you're like, did I ever pause to really celebrate? Did Emmanuel, God with us, that he came to be part of us? See, I think for most of us, we struggle with our tendencies just like their tendency. Our tendency is to reject him. Now, I'm not saying if we're believers, obviously we accepted him for faith in Christ and we're followers of Christ, but we reject him. When we think that God doesn't work the way we think he ought to work, we don't have anything to do with that. Or when we expect God to do something that God doesn't do, we kind of push back on that. Or maybe we look at his word and we see, we said Jesus teaches this way and he says that we need to live this way. And we're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Ultimately, we reject him for the same reasons they rejected him. It's because we don't want our lives turned upside down. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And if Christmas is going to turn our lives upside down, we need to be willing to look at our lives and go, I need to remember who Jesus is, yes, but I need to remember my own tendencies. And my own tendency is comfortable. How many of us like comfortable? Don't we all? Jesus didn't call you to be comfortable. Jesus called you to be faithful. Right? And we need to know our own tendencies. Let me give you one more thing. Thirdly, we need to be reminded of the promise. Look at me in verse 12 and 13. It says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of man, but of God. But for who, all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And here's the promise. For all those people who received and believed, they are privileged. Listen, for those of us that have received and believed in Jesus, we are privileged. Why are we privileged? Because we are no longer orphans. We are children of the Most High God. We are no longer aliens, but we've been adopted into the family of God. And for all of us that have received, all of us that have embraced the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, for all of us that have embraced that, and for all of us, it has turned our lives upside down. And we belong to him. And as somebody who's embraced that, we have all rights and privileges of sonship. Here's what that means. 
Whatever belongs to Jesus also belongs to who? Us. Jesus' inheritance is our inheritance. His home is where? Come on, where's his home? That's our inheritance too, right? He says, for all who believe in me, all who have received me, I give the right to become the children of God. See, I think it's so important during Christmas to us to be reminded that for those of us that have embraced him, for those of us that have given our life to him, to be reminded of the promise that we belong to him, that I am not my own. I belong to the Most High God. I'm a child to the greatest dad ever, right? And we need to be reminded of that. So I want to come back to a question I asked a while ago. Has your life been turned upside down by Christmas? For some of you, you would say, Doug, you know what? I know the Christmas story, like the nativity scene you talked about, but it's never become personal for me. There's never been a moment I go, okay, that Jesus became a man, died on a cross, took my place because what I deserved, separation, but through faith in him, I don't have the hope of heaven? And maybe you know this story. You know it, but it's never been personal to you. And today can become personal. And then for the rest of us in the room, the rest of us that are believers, has Christmas turned our lives upside down? You know, many of us, as we look about it, some of you, if I could pinpoint where you're at today, some of you have gotten like me, get so wrapped up in the craziness of Christmas. Here's where, here's where you find yourself today. You find yourself exhausted, you spent way too much money, and you can't wait for January to come. Right? And maybe, just maybe, we need to pause. Take some moments. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about like three minutes before your kids get up on Christmas Day. I'm talking about some real moments. And think about the beauty of the Christmas story. That God became one of us. Why? To remind me that I'm not forgotten. And I'm deeply loved. And may we let those truths of the Christmas story compel us to share with other people. Let the truths of the Christmas story refresh our spirit. Listen, when I turn on the news, if there's one thing we need as a country, it's a refreshing of our spirit, isn't it? Let it refresh our spirit. Let the truths of the Christmas story change how we see people. Listen, I don't, and I'm, I'm, this is confession time for me. I don't mean it's ugly, but I battle this. Sometimes I see people as projects. Anybody else like me in that? And nobody else wants to commit to sin. Okay, one person. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. But I'm like that. And it's not because I don't think they're valuable. It's because I think they have a, maybe they got something going on. And I want to help them. I want to fix them. And, I, and on my to-do list, I mean, I put them on there, call somebody, call, talk to someone, do this for them. And at the end of the day, people are not projects. People are what? People. And maybe during this Christmas story, if we'll take some moments to pause and think about what Jesus has done, it will change how we see people. And maybe if we'll pause and think of these truths of the Christmas story, it will remind us of what really matters most at Christmas. And it's not the stuff around a tree. It's the fact that God loves you and sent a son. And may we not discount that this year. So I'm going to ask you right now, everybody, if you would, if you just stand with me, everybody stand with me. And I'm going to ask you right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. And for the believers in the room, I just want to challenge you this morning. I just want to challenge you that maybe you're like me sometimes and Christmas becomes one of those things that you get so wrapped up in, all the, all the peripheral things going on, that you don't give much traction and much time and much attention to the beauty of the story. 
God became one of us. So I pray that right now, you'd commit to taking some time this week. You've got five days. Five days to take some real time, maybe as a family, maybe personally. And just think about the truths we've talked about today, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is creator of everything, that Jesus holds all things together, and that Jesus became one of us. And would you let those truths compel you to share that with somebody else? Would you let those truths cause you to see people differently this holiday season? And would you let those truths remind you of what really matters on December 25th? So for believers, would you make that commitment? And then maybe somebody's here today, and for, for you, you're like, man, I, I need to make this personal. And it's as simple as you just saying, Lord Jesus, I know that you came as a baby in a manger, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross and rose again from the grave. I, I, today I surrender my life to that. I believe that with every fiber of my being. And I surrender my life to you. Asking you to be the boss and master of my life. See, I think there's no greater gift this Christmas that you could receive than the gift of salvation. And if you never trusted Christ, would you do that today? Lord, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this. I really think it's a holy moment. Maybe a moment for all of us that that we're kind of Our eyes have been wandering, our attention's been drifting, and maybe this morning it's been a moment where you, through your word, have put our attention right back where it goes. And that's not just on a baby in a manger, but on the person, the work of Christ, who, yes, was a baby in a manger, but he also went to a cross and died for our sins. May we take some real moments during this holiday season, Lord, and focus on the implications of what it means that you became one of us, That you loved us so much that you didn't write us off. You didn't discount us. You didn't marginalize us. You became one of us. And brought salvation to the world. And taught us what it meant to live a life pleasing to you. May we take some real moments this season, Lord. And may that turn our lives upside down. May we not be the same because of it. So God, I pray today that we would just respond as you would lead us, that we'd be faithful. For the ones who need to make it personal, may they do that. For the believer who need to make the commitment to take the season more seriously, may we do that. And I pray, Lord, that maybe just in this moment as we sing, that we would just celebrate that we had a chance to come and see what you've done. We've had a chance to come and see how you've worked in the world, how you've worked in our lives. And may this moment be a moment of celebration for all that you've done. God, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness in our lives. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.